Hey, my name is Adam Whitescarver, and I'm the executive director at the Chattanooga House of Prayer, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for listening today, and I hope it encourages you and gives you perspective to see the beauty and the diversity of God's church, both in Chattanooga and the church at large. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to a beautiful church podcast. This is your host, Adam Whitescarver, and in studio today, I have with us the Reverend, although I don't know that you really go by Reverend, Pastor Doug Plumley. Welcome, Doug. Thank you so much, Adam. Great to be here with you today. Doug, we are excited. You know, uh, everyone that knows this guy, at least by reputation, he is always a a very positive, full of energy guy, (laughs) and I've I've got um, on record... Uh, from one of your old college buddies, who I'll leave anonymous, that you were a pious man back then. That was a word that was used, a pious man. Okay, that's probably true. Regular in prayer uh, back in the day, even when you were in college. Well, thank you. Um, so glad to have you. How about you tell us just uh, some basics about uh, your church and where it is, uh, all that sort of stuff. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate you coming here. Uh, I'm senior pastor at Richdale Baptist Church. I came here in uh, June of 2013, uh, and I came back, and it's ironic, this is my home church, the church I grew up in, was gone for 30 years, never dreamed of coming back to my home church, getting to be my mother's pastor, but uh, I'm able to do that Mm. now, so uh, when mom found out, I had to keep it secret for many months about the interview process till it got to the very final, she was kind of shocked, but very excited. Uh, to get to be there with her. And so that's well, what neat. do you mean, shocked? Just because you're there? Or is your mom saying, like, I don't think they're going to hire my own son? Or was she trying to keep her own uh, hopes down or something? Well, I don't think she had ever really thought much about it. She was just so excited, but it had never really crossed her mind. She was not involved in the process. And, you know, she said, well, why didn't you tell me you were coming into town? I said, Mom, I really couldn't do that during uh, this process. But it was it's been an exciting time to get a comeback to my home church, and it's relocated since I grew up. We grew uh, Ridgedale initially was down on Dodds Avenue oh, in the Ridgedale okay. community, uh, right where Macaulay School is. Macaulay School actually bought our property, and we moved out to oh, wow. current location on Hickory Valley Road in 1988 uh, after selling the property down there and relocating. So it was a different setting for me because I grew up in downtown, uh, the, the Ridgedale community there at Macaulay School, and then relocated out here into East Brainerd community uh, in 1988. Okay. And uh, your, what are your, just the basic stuff, what's your website? Our website is ridgedalebaptist.org. Ridgedalebaptist.org and, is our website. And Dale is D-A-L-E. R-I-D-G-E-D-A-L-E. Baptist, B-A-P-T-I-S-T dot org. All right. And your service times. Let's just get Right that. now, during COVID, it's a little different, but we're doing a nine o'clock worship and uh, Sunday schools at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock worship. Um, so we may, there's a possibility we may have to change that and move it up to about 15 minutes earlier just to give us a little more time for Sunday school in there. But at the current time, it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock. All right. And you said you this was the church you uh, went to growing up. Did, uh, now, you're just from Chattanooga? Well, we moved here when I was six years old. Okay. Uh, I was from a small town in North Tennessee called Oneida, Tennessee, is where I was born. Oh, yeah. And we moved here to Chattanooga in uh, 1968. And I've been here ever since. Or my parents have been here. My um, mom's still living here. My, 
But uh, so they moved here, and I've been gone for 30 years pastoring other churches before I came back to Chattanooga. I never dreamed of it. Never. No, it was really kind of a surprise. You know, they called um, one of the ladies in the search committee who called me was my Sunday school teacher when I was growing up. And she said, I guess you're wondering why I'm calling you. And I said, yes, Pam, I'm kind of curious. And she goes, I'm on the search committee. I said, oh, okay. I knew they had been without a pastor. We're looking for a pastor. But I never really had not applied, had not considered the position at all. Wow. Wow. All right. And then where'd you go to school and how'd you feel or sense the call to becoming a pastor? Well, I started out, I went to Tennessee Tech. I have a degree in electrical engineering. You're Never one of those it. guys. One of those guys, oh, one of them weirdos, okay. you know, one of those weirdos. That, uh, I love math and sciences, and I went my freshman year to school and ran out of money, so I did a co-op program. Uh, and during that co-op time, I worked at Sequoia Nuclear Power Plant as an engineer, and I realized I love my work, but that wasn't where God wanted me. And wow. so I realized God was calling me to be a pastor. I'd always kind of balanced and struggled with that throughout high school. But during that time working as an engineer for a year and a half, I understood this was God's calling my life. Had three years of college left, went back and finished my engineering degree. And that seemed strange. I realized that, but I didn't know for sure if God could call me into missions or something of that nature. And I wanted to have a lot of uh, places you go in foreign countries, you have to have a mission of something other than being a preacher. Right, And so I thought the engineering might be helpful, but, you know, I would do it again because it's really given me a different variety because pastoring a lot is about working with people, interacting with them. And my engineering background, my farming background, or uh, working in a factory, all those different things, you've got all kinds of different people in your church. And so it's allowed me to connect, I think, easier with some of those people. Right. And all that, all those previous experiences that uh, we have, you know, we can, we can draw on. It's sort of like a uh, you have the experience, but you end up mining those experiences for years. Yeah, it's been amazing because I know my first church I went to, They, I went out there and I went up to the farm. They said, you know what a tractor is? We've never uh, had a preacher knew what a tractor was. Oh, my. So I jumped up in the tractor and started. I said, you know how to drive one? And But it made an immediate connection with that group of people. They, they bonded to me because... I could go out and work on their farm. And I went out and worked with them on their farms. I loved it. It was a great connecting point and allowed me to do it. So as you said, mining from all those past experiences have allowed me in some ways to, I pray, be a better communicator and more effective in relating to my people. All right. So I, ha- I have to um, share this story because you're going to find this interesting. So uh, I've been reading a church, on, uh, sorry, a church history on the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Okay. And one of the things they did was they set up a, a school for ministry, but what they intended was they made sure that uh, when those guys went to school to become pastors, they would spend uh, two to three hours outside every day sort of making their own food, like growing their own garden food. Right. Um, but they also trained them in agricultural sciences and, were, and had like 20 acres set apart just for um, paying attention to agricultural science and improving agriculture. And they did that because they were a largely rural church, and right. they wanted to send uh, all these preachers out and have instant credibility, instant ability to be able to help the community in not just you know yeah. uh, spiritual needs, but physical needs as well. Anyways, I just thought your, your story is making me think of that. So I, that it's just a, it was a fascinating nugget. I was like, I have not heard of uh, that kind of preparation for ministry before. You know, what what would that be today? Yeah, it might be getting an electrical engineering uh, degree. It could be. I mean, I, I think that even I know engineers are not practical, but but it's allowed me to 
there's some parts of it I've got nuggets from that and said, okay, hey, you know, problem solving, which a lot of pastoring is, you know, you, you identify the problem and that's part of engineering. You've worked through that. So there's been some benefits of it in a lot of different ways. And I think it's allowed me to be hopefully better well-rounded yeah. to interact with people. So then where'd you go to seminary? I went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Isn't it the Okay, Southern, the Southern Baptist. I'm isn't sorry. Isn't what you're supposed to say? You've just in, it's like the Ohio State. Yeah, the Ohio you State. Just, okay. You know, yeah. rankled all the... I know, I probably guys. rankled some people's yeah. feelings there, and I'm yeah. sorry about that, yeah. but the Southern Baptist... And I went there and got my master's and um, graduated there and then went and pastored a church for several years and went back and got my doctorate of ministry degree there from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary also. You know, you should have been tell- telling me that I was supposed to be calling you doctor for Oh, that well, I, that's a title I put on a piece of paper, but uh, nobody ever calls me that. It's... Uh, but I mean, I'm glad I did it. It was a, a good training experience for me, and um, I'm, God gave me some great learning experiences throughout that process. Great. All right. So, uh, so let's get back to Ridgedale. Um, you know, I just want to qualify this question. You know, um, the question is, what do you believe is your uh, church's calling to this city? But sort of the way I like to frame that is, you know, like there's some churches that, you know, from the time they were started, they were they were doing uh, soup kitchens. Right. Or from the time they were started, they were helping a particular neighborhood or a school. They just had a, you know, they or they had a certain um, group of people that um, maybe were strong with a particular kind of community, say uh, intense worship and uh, preaching, and they have their three-hour-long services. Right. And, yeah, so so just a, a particular calling you know you're you're obviously Ridgedale's got a different flavor right. from any other church in town you know every church right. is is different from the other even if they're similar in the same family of churches like baptists right so um if you could so, sort of um and i know this is not a, a science no i know yeah but what what would you say would be like this is this is kind of what if, if i my read on the church is this is who Ridgedale is and you're you're actually eminently qualified to answer this question since you've been there for like <laughs> Most of my life, yeah, I've been yeah. the majority of my life. Well, it's a great question, Adam. And I think that, you know, for me, coming back to Ridgedale, the one thing that I, and, you know, sometimes the the church follows the vision of the pastor, I, sure. I think, in that way. Sure. And, and my number one vision of coming back to Ridgedale was making disciples. And I know it seems that's kind of a generic answer. I get, I understand that. But what we really believed is, is the most important thing for us is to say the Great Commission, the only verb in that is to make disciples. You know, right. you look at that, it says, and it really says, as you're going, make disciples. And so what I've looked at and tried to think about in, in my role as a pastor, I go back to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So what we've really set out to do is we're trying to empower, and we've, we set it up in— Maybe kind of a simple way, but that's my engineering background. We want to help people encounter Christ. We call it the discipleship pathway, encounter Christ, step one. Step two is equip them as a disciple. Step three is so they can go out and engage the nations, which leads back to more people encountering Christ. And it's that continuous thing. So everything we do as a church is built around the pathway of discipleship. We are wanting to make disciples because that's what I see the calling that Jesus gave to his followers there is how do we make disciples? So what we try to do is say, we want to set everything up. My role as a pastor is to equip the saints. We've got to train them, empower them, and encourage them to go out because the work of the church doesn't happen inside the walls. 
The work of the church needs to happen out in the community. And so what can we do as a church to make disciples who can go out and engage the nations as they're going out every day? That's what we're about. We want it to be out an outward focus, not an inward focus. What's in it for me is, unfortunately, some people look at, you know, and I, I remember sometimes people ask me, what's in it for me? I said, nothing. Mm. It's not about you. It's about him. And when we begin to get the understanding that we're here as a church, our job is to equip and make disciples so they can go out and reach the world for Christ. Because a lot of people will never enter the doors of the church until your people go out and engage as missionaries out in the world. So we're trying to empower and equip our people to go out and engage the nations around them where they can make a difference in their world every day. So all about us is about how do we make disciples? That's our number one vision and goal as a church. All right. So let's say you've got someone listening in that is at another church and they're on some committee and they're interested in figuring this out at their church or they're a pastor or they're someone that just, boy, our church really needs to grow in this. And they're stirred up by what you've said. Uh, what would you tell them are like, okay, here, here's just some of the practical things that we, we do to see that happen. Maybe that's, you know, how you preach, uh, right. or maybe that's, um, ministries that you have and how you even set up some leadership teams. How, how do you make that happen at Ridgedale? Well, here's how we try to do. And, and I, I'll tell you up front, we're not perfect, Adam. I, we don't have it all together. I'm not saying that, but we have set up a couple of things. Number one is we do expository preaching. We feel like is the, you know, we take a book in the Bible and we walk through it verse by verse. Sometimes there's things you don't really, you know, they're tough and challenging as you do that. But one of the things we're really trying to do in that is to teach our people how to study the Scripture, how to learn from it. And hopefully they'll take back and after we preach a message, then they can go back home and study it and think about it and say, okay, and then they'll know next week, okay, here's where the pastor's going to be looking at because we just walk straight through. So one thing we've set up is we try to by, lead by example of teaching our people how to study the Scripture. You know, we feel like that's extremely important, and so Absolutely. expository preaching is the f- model we want to do. Now, the other things we look at is we try to we got what we call community groups, and everybody's got different names for those. I understand right. that, but a small you know, group. small group, whatever you look at. But we've tried to set up several of those, and every one of those are about equipping disciples. We try to say, okay, we want to take that time, and our whole objective about that is equipping disciples, and so. We've done it a couple of different ways. We've started, you know, our, obviously we've had for many years the Sunday school groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them, meet on Sunday morning and, and they're studying scripture. And, and one of the things that we try to do is get them to be on mission together outside of their classroom. We feel like that's extremely important. So a lot of mission projects, we go to our Sunday school classes. So let me do a timeout. Do you ask them to come up with their own projects and do their thing, or do you do you have projects and then you go to the classes and ask them to buy in? We have projects and we go to them, ask them to buy in. Great. And, and the reason for that, I mean, now sometimes they'll come up with their own ideas and that's fine. But what we look at is that's one of our greatest resources. And what we found out is as they serve alongside each other and work together, man, they build some bonds. Like and, Marines and foxholes. Uh, Marines and foxholes. That's a great idea. You know, they build those bonds because they're out sweating together. They're working together. And so we tried, you know, our job as a staff is to kind of lead the direction of the church and vision the church. So we try to come up with ideas and say, hey, would you be willing to help out? And a lot of our classes are phenomenal. We, we say, hey, here's a need. 
Uh, we started a need here. We're working with foster care and ministry now. Governor Lee just introduced a brand new uh, program this week about asking the churches to be involved in foster care. Mm. And so they came to us. Governor Lee's office came and asked us. We said, yeah, we had a need. We put out their Sunday school classes. They were in a few minutes. It was done. I mean, they just jumped right on. Wow. So that's how we're doing it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's worth saying because people don't always, they just, for whatever reason, I don't know why people don't know this, but when you talk about service projects and just free giveaway help that happens uh, really all over the country, uh, Southern Baptists are there for emergency care. They're there. And as I know firsthand from having seen it in Hamilton County, uh, that you guys just roll up your sleeves and do all sorts of incredible work around town. And when the tornadoes hit, right. you know, Baptists were, I mean, they were the boots on the ground immediately. They are already organized and prepared and ready for this. And there's just so much for the, the whole church, I think, to uh, not only learn from you guys, uh, but also even join in when there's citywide things to tackle like that. I mean, you guys were just your leaders with that. So I, anyways, that's the, the, your... Your church, I'm here as I'm hearing it. I'm like, I know you're not the only Baptist church right, that does yeah. this. Um, it, it's a good example of, or a little microcosm of what's happening on a larger level yeah. with Baptist churches. Wow. So, very, very cool. All right. Um, so, now, so let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, what drives you crazy with that? What's what's some of the biggest challenges of making that model work? Are there places where you're banging your head against the wall ever? Uh, did, yeah. I did it I take a while to get there till you were like, you know? It, it, it was a thing that. You know, I've been here seven and a half years at Ridgedale. And my vision of the discipleship process really only began about between year four and year five. Mm. Following a long-term path, you have to earn the trust of the people. And, you know, so I, I, I had a vision in mind of what I wanted to do. I, got it, I felt very strongly in God's calling coming to Ridgedale. From day one. From day one. But I knew that it's, you know, somebody told me it's like turning the Titanic. You got to slowly turn. You, you, you can't usually, I, I didn't feel like I could walk in and say, okay, boom, we're going to hold it. You know, we're changing everything all about what we're doing. So I had to earn the trust of the people. And, and that was a, a real challenge. I mean, you know, even though I grew up there, but I've been gone for so many years, some of them still saw me as little Dougie. They didn't, it was hard for them to see me as their senior pastor. Does anyone call you that? Uh, some of my Sunday school teachers still call me little Dougie. Like, hey, wow. I remember Dougie when he was down here. So, uh, so We're I, so proud of him yeah, now. Yeah, so I don't know where they're proud, but they, they, some of them. But, but it, it's one of those things that you had to earn the trust of people. And, and the timing was one thing that I kept praying, God, I, I, here's my vision. I want to move this way. Mm. But I had to be patient and wait on the timing that God gave. How did you do with that personally? Did you ever like, was it like ever like, oh, Lord, please move here? Like in your prayers, or were, are, were yeah, you already was, seasoned and patient? No, I was not seasoned and patient. Okay, I was you struggled. Not, I struggled. I mean, the, the the first people need to hear that. Yeah, the first four to five years were struggles, trying to know your vision of where you wanted the church to go, knowing the direction, and not being able to implement that initially, not being able to put it in. It was tough. I'm not going to lie to you and tell yeah. you uh, that as a, you know, I, I, I try to say I don't struggle, but I do. I mean, I, I mean I'm honest. I'm like no, everybody no. else. We yeah. all struggle. And it was really hard to be patient and say, God, I know this is what you want me. I really feel this is what you want me to do, but why can't we do it now? But the thing that was amazing was even in that is 
God was working behind the scenes when I didn't see it. Mm. And then when we moved in the direction, the doors just fell open. Even in, you know, bringing staffing needs together, bringing uh, ministry opportunities, God just did some amazing things that I wasn't seeing what he was doing behind the scenes because I was impatient. It wasn't moving fast enough for me. But God was saying, be patient. I'm working it all out. And so as we moved in that direction, it's been a neat thing because the church, I guess, as I earned their trust, they were willing to follow me as a leader. Had I done it too quickly, I'm not sure they would have all followed my leadership. Sure. So I had to be patient and earn the trust those first four to five years of the church. And then so when I began to implement it, they were much more open to it. They were much more willing to consider it. And they've been phenomenal. So, um, you know, today I was on a, on a prayer call and someone asked me, what can we do to support our pastor and help our pastor feel loved, especially you know, right. in, in light of how hard some things have been lately? Um, but I think the question applies here. If, if you're going back into those years, um, let's say, I mean, cause there's, there's going to be listeners that are, have a new pastor with a new vision right. and they, they don't, they don't even, uh, they might have thought, how do I support my pastor? But they might not have even thought, well, gosh, what do I need to do in order to help my pastor, uh, move the ball forward on things of, you know, to be on the same page, to help that, you know, to help them feel supported. Right. Uh, what is there anything that anybody within the congregation could have done that would have helped you even as that vision's still not there yet, but what they could what could they have done in the interim to make you feel like, okay, at least there's this? And I'm sure there were people, maybe there are examples and testimonies you've got. Oh yeah, there there's some I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, because even in that that vision, what God was doing is he was bringing some of the people in in leadership positions that I needed to implement my vision. I didn't have the leadership probably I needed. So God was putting those pieces together. I don't know if it makes any sense, but you're bringing the pieces together to make it all happen. And and again, all this was going on behind the scenes. I wasn't really noticing or aware of, but I think the only thing, you know, I would say if if somebody's listening and they're saying, Hey, I got a new pastor. I would just say, let's get together for lunch or something. What's your vision? What's your passion? Just sit down and I think for the pastor perspective, know that somebody's really interested in what I'm doing. Somebody really right. wants to know. Right. And, and and I'm not trying to, you know, no, I'm no. not being critical of people, but, the, you know, sit down and say, hey, pastor, I just want to know, you know, you know, if God's called you here, what's the vision and passion you feel led to do? And I remember one thing, I was sitting down talking to a friend of mine one day, and he said to me, he said, Doug, do you believe God called you to Ridgedale? I said, Absolutely. I really feel like God brought me to Ridgedale to get to come back and serve those whom I love and care for. He said, well, has God given you a vision? I said, yes. And he said this, he said, don't die in somebody else's vision. Die in the vision God gave you to implement at Ridgedale. And I've always mm. thought back in that. And you know, he was sitting down and listening to me and hearing me share my vision. He said, and knowing I wasn't there, he said, but Doug, be patient and that's the vision. If that's what God's called you to do, then God's going to provide the resources and the people and the opportunities. And, and that's what's been fun the last two to three years, just to sit back and watch, wow, this piece, that piece, that piece is all mm. seemingly, and we're not there yet. I'm not saying sure. that, but, sure. but, but it's beginning to fall into place in that way. Sure. And so, so that person that basically said, have confidence of what yeah. God has said, not, not what you're saying, but what right. you know came from him. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. All right. Well, Great stuff so far with Doug Plumley. We're going to take a quick break. 
Our team at the Chattanooga House of Prayer has worked hard to put together an extensive library of resources designed to help you encounter God. A Beautiful Church podcast is just one of the many resources we've curated. Check out our website, chathop.org, to discover prayer resources, chord charts, written materials, recommended literature, and more. Welcome back to A Beautiful Church podcast. In studio today, we have with us uh, Doug Plumley from Ridgedale Baptist Church. Uh, welcome back, Doug. Thank you, Adam. Great to be here with you. And uh, so we've been talking about just sort of his church, his pastorate, how he got called to it, uh, and what Ridgedale is specifically called to in the city. And, you know, this is a, a question that we've kind of touched on already, but, you know, I'd say every denomination, you know, has its traditions and strengths and values that they bring to the body of Christ. Uh, what, from your perspective, because, I mean, uh, I think I could get five different Baptist churches, uh, right. pastors in this uh, studio, and they might all give me, you know, maybe four different answers, maybe right. a few lining up. But what would you say are some of the things that you believe the Baptist churches in this town uh, bring to this city? Why, why, why would we miss Southern Baptists if they were gone out of Chattanooga? Well, I think there's a couple different things, Adam, and, and one is something you referred to a few moments ago. Um, and when the tornadoes hit in last year, and, the, and, and I think that Southern Baptist, is, what are, we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, does a really good job of ministering to people in times of crisis or different things of that nature, the tornadoes, the flooding. Um, and we got several members of our church. Uh, we had a lot of our staff over there day by day working, uh, working along with other churches. Uh, and trying to really say, hey, we care. And people say, what do we owe you? Went, Nothing. You know, you don't owe us anything. This is a gift that we want to do to say, hey, you know, we care about you. We're concerned about you. So I think Southern Baptist, I mean, I, I am proud of the disaster relief when efforts happen all over the United States. Yeah. They're well organized. They're they're put together. They're, they're trained. And, you know, they do a lot of, that's a really, I think, one good thing that we do a great job of. I'm very proud of that, whether it's, it's providing food, uh, tornado relief, uh, clothing, whatever the things can be. You know, we try to be, when a need arises, I think we're on the ground. As you said, boots on the ground. We want to be the boots on the ground that's saying, we love you, we care about you. How can we help you in this time you're going through? Yeah. That's something I, I think is a great part of Southern Baptist tradition and history in that way. I think also the, the, the missions efforts, um, I love how the, uh, Southern Baptists work together, what we call the cooperative program, uh, a great program of all the churches contribute and help our missionaries. Our missionaries don't have to raise their own funding support, and I'm not, that's not critical of others, but, but I know our missionaries talk about they don't have to worry about funding. They get to go and, and work and all over the world and all of the United States and say, our job is to, to share the gospel of Christ. We don't have to worry about raising funds because the Southern Baptist Convention is behind us. They're going to raise the funds and allow us to do that. As a nonprofit leader, I'll just say that's huge. It is huge because, you, I know for you, you have to spend a lot of your time You can put more time directly into ministry. And, yep. and so— and Fundraising is a form of ministry. It's obviously a form of discipleship too, but I know what you're saying. I agree. Yep. I'm, I'm not, but but it, it's it's nice for our missionaries. I think that they can say, "Hey, 
we can go and do the work God's called us to do and not have to worry about some of those details like that. Absolutely. And I'm, so that's I'm in 100% agreement. I think that's a, a, another thing I, I'm really proud of how we do missions. I think we do a good job of that, trying to do that. And, you know, I think, you know, Southern Baptists have tried to be people of God's word, trying to stay with God's word. I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we try to look and study. And that's why we do the expository preaching. We want to stay what God's word says. And sometimes people look and say, that's, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that passage you're dealing with. And I said, you know, that's what it says, you right. know, and that's why when you do expository preaching, you're walking straight through it and you're not picking and choosing and you say, hey, don't argue with me. Here's what the word says. So I think those are a couple things that I'm proud of within yeah. the Southern Baptist history is, is those things. I mean, no, no, no uh, denomination's perfect and we're not perfect. I'm not saying that, but I think those are a couple things I'm really proud of what we do. Yeah. And, you know, I'll add just, um, you were talking about how your small groups go out and do evangelism together. One of the things I've seen a lot of the Baptist churches in this town do really well are their small group ministries and the community that those people have. Um, and even like if disaster strikes someone's personal life, how the Baptist churches are pretty good at being there for people. And this, you know, that's not, there's other denominations yep. that do that as well. But um, I, I have seen such good stuff there of like, uh, you know, we talk about our need for community these days and how isolated right. and lonely we can get. Um, and I just think it's it's worth saying, you know, this, this is part of what church is. But I, I should also add a, a, a caveat. Uh, Chattanooga is a hard town for, uh, you know, I came from out of town and moved here. Right. There's a lot of people that have been here and have had their friends groups established and everything else like that. Um, and I used to tell people, you know, if you're finding a new church, uh, go there when you think you found the one, stay, stick with it for three years. It's going right. to take you three years, sort of like you were saying, right. I had to be there four years. Um, it's going to take you three years before you've even really feel like you have community. And if you short circuit that by leaving sooner, uh, you'll, you'll mess that process up. And I, you know, for my wife and I, and we're we're both very social. I mean, we're um, we're we're going to jump in and everything else like that. It we really felt like we were here for four, almost five years in town before we were like, ah, we are established with community and we're we're here. So I just um, that's that's really getting off the rails of what Southern Baptists are. But I would just say, you know, this is a Baptist town, so it's fair right. to say if you're just picking a church, uh, there's a good chance, you know, throwing that dart that dart at the dartboard, you're going to hit. A Southern Baptist Church, you know, stick stick with it for that community because it's it's there. It's that's an important part of church. I think that's the one thing I'm hearing people are saying now that community and and so we try to build it not only on Sunday mornings but we build it throughout the week. Uh, we have uh, some home groups that meet on Sunday nights to meet and discuss the sermons on Sunday mornings. We have some Wednesday night Bible studies, men's and women's Bible studies throughout the weeks. And we've got these groups called discipleship groups. All of those are about building community and really forming that because, you know, we need each other at times. And I can look back in my own life, Adam, and think about when the church was there for me and met a need, cared for me in a time of crisis. And, and that's what we, we do a lot of that through what our, our community groups, as you're talking about. That's where a lot of our ministry happens. We mm -hmm. feel like it's extremely important. And, and I tell folks, I said, you know, if you can only give one hour a week, I said, get in your community group. And I, 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 it sounds weird for a pastor to say that, but I said, that's where you're going to form those relationships. You know, that's where you're going to form that connection. And that's where you're going to learn to work and do life together with other Christians. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, going back to something else that you said as well uh, about, you know, getting into the, the Word of God and the Bible and letting our lives adhere to, to it. Um, 
one of the things that I found, so this is, this is a personal note, but I just want to sort of, um, affirm you, I guess is what I'm doing here, uh, is that I said, I've got to shut off the news even more than I have been. I'd already put a clamp down on the news and on social media just because it gets, uh, so toxic to, and can ping pong your emotions and brain. <laughs> And I said, I'm just going to put on, uh, every time that I want to put on news or a podcast or when I'm driving, uh, I'm going to put on the, the Bible. Um, and it was, it was I, I, audio Bible. You know, right, I've always yeah. heard, read your Bible, read your Bible, right. read your Bible. And I never thought of, well, what about listening through the Bible in yeah. the year? And I know I'm slow. I know I'm slow on the, up, uh, on the uptick there. But uh, I, I finished the whole Bible yesterday. Wow. Um, and that, that wasn't a great effort. That's not like, uh, I mean, I just put it on just at random times, like I'm doing dishes and I didn't pay attention perfectly to it. Um, at all times, you know, that my kids would run in and distract me and whatever. And I missed like half right. a chapter at times, but, uh, that's still better than I was doing before. And I, I felt a lot better, uh, immersing myself in, in even more in the word than I normally would, uh, and less in everything else. So anyways, I just sort of, I yeah. just want to back you up and plug that for you. I mean, of course I care about biblical literacy right. just because I, you know, I believe in the inerrancy and the importance of the life-giving power of the word of God, but, um, it's huge. Right. Um, all right. So then sort of next, moving on to a next question, totally different theme here. Uh, and this is not, you know, I got to be careful. You're at the, you're at a ministry that, you know, works to build prayer around the city, um, this is not a guilt or a gotcha question. Right. If your answer is not what you would feel is sufficient, most I, I would hope that few of us would feel like the our prayer culture or our Bible reading or our services is where we're at. I mean, I don't live up to anything that I want personally, and I don't. I've never been to a church where I felt like we were all living up to it. Right. But okay, so the, all those qualifiers in there. What would you say is the prayer culture of Ridgedale Baptist? What's the prayer life like? Well. That's one of the things we're really trying to improve on. I'll be honest with you, Adam. Yeah. We're not there. And, you know, it's sometimes you, you try to prioritize and work through, and, and th that is we've, we've kind of got this discipleship. That was the one thing we want to do. Uh, and, and, and one of the burdens I really got is, is been praying even there for a leader. I mean, staff obviously has to lead some, but you need a champion within your church. Sure. And I've been praying about that for some time, and, and God's just opened up a door, and there's a lady in our church now who's really got a passion for this. She's, you know, and so we're really trying to revive our prayer ministry. I, I know it sounds bad to say, but no, we're no, trying to we bring it. it to a focus where it's more of a priority in our life as a church. And, you know, that's been one of the neat things. I just got finished reading the Spiritual Disciplines by Don Whitney, really a powerful book, and talks about prayer, fasting, and solitude and silence and some of those things about how all that's important in your prayer life and really got me begin to thinking, you know, we're not there. We as a church need to make prayer because a lot of times, in all sincerity, churches don't make prayer the priority they should make it. And I'm not judging other churches. I'm, I'm simply sure. speaking from my perspective, the churches I've been I'll, in. I'll just say we exist as an organization because uh, there were people years ago that said the, the church needs help in this area. Exactly. They, they, they had seen uh, stuff that had happened in uh, world missions, and they said yeah. these things are on fire. Yeah. And one of the big differences uh, that was noticed was our prayer life in America is – way lax compared to, you know, yeah. uh, people in other parts of the world. Like I, 
I mean, I remember meeting a a, a leader uh, from the Chinese church one time. Didn't he didn't speak a speak a lick of English, um, and why should he? Right, he's in China and he right. hasn't met any <laughs> English speakers or many of them. Um, but he he led a prayer movement of three million people. Wow! And it was every Friday night from seven p.m. to seven a.m. They prayed, <sighs> and I thought, I, I mean, I, I work in a ministry that you know goes after building prayer and I don't have that kind of a prayer game. You know, that's intense to say it the is, least. And I think that, you know, you look at that and you see Western culture churches, you know, don't have that prayer focus that we need. I mean, you see it in some of the other parts of the world that it is a priority. And and so what we're trying to do is instead of making prayer that last resort, which is sometimes what we do, sure. we get ourselves in a big hole. Oh, God, we need your help. We, 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 we go in that point. Instead, say, let's start with prayer and seek God first and foremost and then move in that direction. And so, you know, again, it takes some time, you know, that we had to look at that. And, you know, I felt like as we were beginning to develop disciples, followers of Christ, and it was time to bring the prayer focus back in. And sometimes you have to kind of think, okay, I got to get the ball rolling in a, a direction, and then and then I can bring in these other elements that are very important. We've brought in Bible study, that how important it is to be studying God's Word. We have a, a yearly reading plan. We take our Bible through. But now we're going to say, okay, the other element we got to bring in, we got to bring an element of prayer in. So we're trying to bring all these things in, but you sometimes have to bring them in one at a time. Sure. I, I think you do. So we've got a lot of work to do, but we're really excited. I am very excited about making that a priority in the life of Ridgedale Baptist Church because I know and believe that when it is, step out of the way and watch what God's going to do. Right. Right, so that that kind of leads into my next question. What's the Lord speaking uh, and doing in your church, and in you in the season? You you know, and I'll just I'll cheat a little bit. You know, when you came in, you were talking about uh, searching for ways to evangelize and serve the right. community more. Um, and just from what I'm hearing, I'm kind of putting your answer in your mouth. But you tell me if I'm wrong. Is it would you say it's this uh, new kindling of prayer and uh, seeking out how to get out the doors even more? Yeah, I think it's a good way. You know, we're trying to say, okay, how do we we want to know God's direction. You know, I think in um, Henry Blackman many years ago, uh, you know, experiencing God's study, I'm sure you've gone it's through a classic, that. It's yeah. a classic. But one of the things that Blackaby said that really, I mean, I don't remember all of it, but he said, look where God's at work and join him. Right. And, and you know, so many times in our prayer life, we say, okay, God, here's what we're going to do. Bless us real good. Right. We lay our plan out for God and say, God, we want you to bless our plan. But Blackman made me think, stop and think about, okay, look at where God is at work right now and, and join in. And, you know, and, and through prayer, you can see where God's at work. You can see what he's doing. Absolutely. And you can sense that direction and say, okay, God, here's the things. And what's been exciting this year is God's opened up some amazing doors, even in the midst of COVID, doors that we never thought about. Yep. Yep. We never considered, but because we've had to be forced as a church to say, we got to figure out how do we become relevant to this community and share the love of Jesus Christ to a world that's hurting and dying, isolated, all these things, but how do we say we care? So we're trying to find ways of, okay, God, open, show us the doors we need to be walking through. Instead of saying, God, open this door for us so we can go that way. 
we're looking to try to sense through prayer as a staff right now, particularly, God, what are the doors you can open for us? And it's been pretty neat this year to see how Fantastic. It, and how God's opened those doors. And, and, and so I, I say we need to improve in prayer, but I think we're trying to sense God's direction about where he's wanting us to go and then trying to step where he opens the doors for us. Fantastic. That is, I mean, absolutely. So if just to fly out to up to 30,000 feet on that question, what would you say the Lord is doing in the city of Chattanooga as a whole right now? Is there anything that you, from your take you can see? Yeah, you know, I, and I, I, this is where I say thank you to uh, Chattanooga House of Prayer for what you guys have done this year. You've been phenomenal in helping guide us or lead us in ch- as churches, been a facilitator. They'll see some encouraging things happen. You know, I think that uh, to, to see um, some of the racial reconciliation things you guys have been very instrumental in making happen, I, that, that's encouraging for me as a, ch- as a pastor, you know, to oh, see man. that God is working and God is using your ministry and touching lives. And um, you're, faci- you're a facilitator. And I'm, I mean, I think it's great to see the churches joining in with you, yeah. but you're facilitating through the Chattanooga House of Prayer some of these great new moves. So I'm encouraged to see that. I was also really encouraged this last year. Day by day, I didn't get to go out. I got to go out for five or six times during the tornado recovery things. I couldn't go out every day. I didn't have the time. But my missions pastor, Ryan McBride, was out there every day, six Mm. days a week out there working that. Had people from our church every day going out in disaster relief and the tornadoes hit. Ryan's got a good reputation. Uh, Ryan's a great guy. I'm I'm very blessed to have Ryan McBride on my staff. I love Ryan. and appreciate him. But he was out leading and doing that, and I got to go along with him. But I was encouraged to see how that churches – we're out there loving on people, mm. and really, and you know, because we worked through the the uh, disaster relief of the Southern Baptist Convention, but there were churches, other people from different churches coming, yeah. and it was neat. We gathered over there, and we got together. We'd go out and do a project, and we'd work and serve, and we'd pray with the people and say, you know, and, and you know, do those things, and so that was encouraging for me to see the churches getting out and in a time of great need. Being out there leading in that way. And working together. Yeah, working together. That was neat. And, you know, this last year, too, we've worked with several churches and food distributions. You know, we, and I I love, you know, this year, one thing that's been neat, I've seen, from my perspective, a camaraderie among churches that I haven't seen in a long time. Mm. And, and I, again, that's not a criticism, but it's been neat to see how, as the needs have arisen this last year, Adam, churches have pulled together and said, hey, how can we help each other? And that's what it's all about. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about Ridgedale Baptist Church. Yeah, that's where I'm a pastor at. But our goal is how do we advance God's kingdom? And, and to see the churches pulling together, working together, that's been a neat thing for me to see. You know, you were there, y'all led it that night, but the, the first racial reconciliation we had out there at Mount Canaan Baptist Church, that was phenomenal. In what, three days period? We had a thousand, three, you know, we put, days, three we days put, put together. 1,500 people at least. Yeah. Uh, 1,500 people out there that night. That was phenomenal to see the churches pulling together. And I was excited. I left there proud of the churches and not, not trying it to. It was be, very encouraging. Not be egotistical, but it was, it was very encouraging yeah. to see. All of us rallied together. We didn't care who you were, what race, what color, what you know, what denomination. It didn't matter. We were the church pulling together and saying, "Hey, we're here to make a difference in our community." And I thought that was 
something that was exciting to me to see happen. And, you know, so I, that, that's the thing. And, you know, I love to think, you know, we've got some great ministries here in our community. I mean, you know, you look at different things, what you guys are doing. Uh, how many ch- school systems have Bible in the schools? You know, it's right. phenomenal right. that we've got people who say, hey, we want to get that. So there's a lot of neat things. But I, I look at this concept of now seeing the churches pulling together, and I pray that at, we get through COVID, we'll still be pulling together in the way we have this last year. That's my vision. Amen. I am praying for that. I, you know, we were tremendously encouraged here of uh, the churches seeing that need for prayer and unity, like we'd never seen before, and that's. You know, maybe people, there'll be some that fall off that yeah. wagon, you know, when, when COVID's died off. But I, I do think Chattanooga's changed for the better oh, coming yeah. out of this. I do I do trust that. I do, too. And I, that's why I'm, I'm excited about getting together for a National Day of Prayer that you're putting together for us on, on May, uh, coming up in May. That's an exciting time. I'm looking forward to oh, let's gathering together. Let's, let's just pray for our community. Let's pray for what God's going to do. Pray that God will continue to use us and make a difference in this world, and you know, let's let's be a shining light. You know, we've had a tough year, uh, tornadoes and COVID and stuff. Like everybody's had COVID, but let's be a shining light. Say, hey, here's what we can what can happen when the churches pull together and they work together. God can do some neat stuff. Fantastic. All right, well, let's take another quick break, and I'll be back for uh, one more question. If you are a pastor or ministry leader looking for fellowship and mutual support unified prayer, and a place to network with other ministry leaders for the benefit of our city, Pray Chattanooga would be a great connection point for you. Each month we coordinate regional gatherings of pastors getting together for prayer all over the city. From this network, there have been many testimonies of collaborations between churches, multiple stories of pastors finding encouragement in their personal lives and in their ministries, and an abundance of answered prayers. To find out how you can get connected, visit chathop.org. This is a beautiful church podcast. It's a podcast where we try to showcase the beauty of God's church across the whole city of Chattanooga, because we do believe that the church is beautiful, especially when you look at it as a whole. And we have with us uh, Pastor Doug Plumley from Ridgedale Baptist Church. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you. Good to be uh, here. And I just have uh, one question, but it has become my favorite question that I ask pastors, uh, just because it's I always get an interesting take uh, from them. Uh, but before I ask this question and, and do some kind of closing, I, I do need to say this about Doug. I wish you guys could be in here to see Doug when he's talking to me. No, we don't have a camera, uh, but Doug is one of the most animated speakers I've ever seen, and he's got Uh-oh. a hand gesture uh, for everything. And it's, it's not just like one hand gesture either. He's got like multiple ways in which he's moving his fingers and his hands. So you just got a picture with this voice has been a very animated speaker. I'm, I'm sure it's why you're you're a good speaker. Oh, well. A part I, of why you're I, a good speaker. I can't. I, I, you know, that's just ta- my nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, ta- you're talking well with your hands. All right, so here's the question. Um, just in closing, what would you if, you, if you could tell the believers in Chattanooga just one thing or exhort them to one thing, you just got like, you've got the whole town right now listening to you, uh, let's say. I, I, we don't have that kind of right. listenership, but let's say you had the whole town. What would you tell them? Well, I guess I go back and to what I we're trying to do as a church is the one thing I challenge. You know, we we look at it, we want to help people encounter Christ and equip them as disciples so they can go out and engage the nations. And my one thing to exhort is to say, we are all missionaries. Hmm. 
God has created each and every one of us uniquely. And God has gifted us uniquely. And so God wants to work through every member of the body of Christ. And what I would encourage people to do, find your calling, identify your calling, identify how God has wired you or made you, and then go out and and be that missionary, be that evangelist, be that light in a world of darkness, that salt of the earth, you know, be that that Jesus talked about, because you can reach people that I'll never reach, but every one of us has our own world around us that we can reach. And you may say, well, I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm not this, I'm not that. That's okay. But when we understand that I am uniquely created by the Almighty God, He has gifted me, He has given me abilities and talents, and He wants to make a difference in this world through me. When we begin to grasp that idea that, God, I want to be an instrument of yours. I want to be a vessel of yours. Use me. And when we go out and begin to engage our world around us, can you imagine the difference it would make if every one of us began to be that salt of the earth, that light of the world, wherever God's planted us, wherever God has placed us. You know, I look back at my own life and, I realize I'm not supposed to be here. 25 years ago, I had a car wreck. I, they had revived me twice. It wow. shouldn't be here. Wow. But I realized God had a purpose and a plan for my life. And I've always lived from that day forward on February 25th of 1991. I'll never forget that date. I'll always remember that day. And look back and realize that, you know, 30 years, not 25, 30 years ago, that God saved me for something. He has a purpose for my life. But He's got a purpose for every one of our lives. And He wants to work through us and use us. And you know what I found out, Adam, that, man, when, when you're in the center of God's will, there is nothing more beautiful in life than that. Hmm. And when we are there serving God and using those abilities and talents He's given to us, it's amazing what God can do. But it's also so encouraging and so rewarding to be used by God to make a difference in our world. So engage your world. Make a difference wherever God has placed you. Wow, I, I can't think of uh, anything really to add to that, Doug. Uh, fantastic uh, thought, and uh, that's a fantastic place to close. I uh, want to thank you again for being with us today. Thank you for letting me come. I appreciate you, Adam, and what Chattanooga House of Prayer does. Thank you for your work in our community. Oh, well, thanks, and um, uh, may God bless you in uh, the journey that you and Ridgedale are on. It's just I'll be excited to watch and see what God does there. Uh, Well, thank you for listening to A Beautiful Church Podcast. We'll be back with you all next episode. Thanks for joining us. The Chattanooga House of Prayer is a nonprofit ministry based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we are seeking the transformation of our city through unified prayer, worship, and action. I want to give a special thank you to those of you who give generously to this ministry. We have just learned over the years that many hands make light work, and it is because of you that we can continue this important mission. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit chathop.org. That's C-H-A-T-T-H-O-P.org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on your social media, and tag us at Chattanooga House of Prayer. 
Thanks again for listening.